Well, this weekend, I had, I had the opportunity of, uh, some of you have been praying for me, and I want to thank you for that. I had the opportunity to go to uh, Northport Baptist Church. Uh, a friend of mine, and many of you know him, John Jenkins is a pastor there, and he's he's been there almost a year, and he's in the process of... Uh, I want to be careful how I say this because they the church prays, but he wants them to become a praying church. Does that make sense? There are people that pray, but he wants he wants their ministry, he wants their their touch in the community to be bathed in prayer. And so he's he's in the process of of, of doing a lot of things. And I had the privilege this weekend of of meeting with uh, with him and and his staff and with uh, his deacons and and, and did a prayer retreat. I, I taught. Uh, three times, a couple of three times, and the last thing I want to share this because I believe testimony is a good thing. Okay, <laughs> really a good thing. But uh, they were, they, they have been a. a, a I'm, I'm, I'm just using my words carefully. <clears throat> okay, because I want you to miss it. Praying for the sick had not been a part of their ministry. I mean, it just it, it wasn't a part of their ministry necessarily. It wasn't. It didn't mean that they didn't pray for the sick. They just didn't do it. Perhaps in the way of, of anointing somebody with oil and laying hands on them. They, they didn't do it that way. They prayed for the sick, but not in that particular manner. And so John has been, he's been t- teaching them. And I taught on that a little bit this weekend. And, and I, I'm, I've, I've come to this place in my ministry. I, I've learned that if you just teach on something and you don't ex- experiment with it, if you don't practice it, Nobody learns anything. They just soak up a bunch of knowledge and go home and, and are terrified of ever trying anything. So I just, I just decided Friday night while I was teaching them what prayer is that when we got to that place Saturday morning, we, we would just experiment. Now, I've been around a lot of Baptist deacons, okay? <laughs> if they think they're going to fail... They're like most men; they won't try. So I, I, you know, I was a little nervous about it, but I just I asked the Lord. I said, "Lord, give me something. I mean, show me something that we can use that James five passage for." And really, I believe that it was going to be one of the men in that group. So, and it wouldn't be such a, a hard thing. So anyway, I prayed and I prayed, and God just gave me He gave me something. Just boom, just like that. And there were it was one of those things where it was it was brief, but it was clear, and and it had to do with inner ear. Okay, it had to do with balance. It didn't have to do with inner ear. It had to do with balance. Somebody was having a problem with their balance, and, and it was a nauseating thing. And so my mind began to race, and okay, is it inner ear and everything? And, and, and I realized, okay, I just need to give what God's given me and leave it to God. So as we got close to the end, I explained what we were going to do. And uh, they, they were in. They'd been very attentive and, and, and very, uh, they participated. And so I just said, look, I'm, I believe the Lord's given me this. And I said, I, you know, I may have heard it wrong, but I'm just going to share what, he's, what I think he's given me, and we'll go from there. And so I shared exactly that. There, there's somebody here that's struggling with their balance. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it, it nauseates uh, that person. I don't know what it is. I don't have an idea what the cause is. And I waited, and the crickets began to chirp, okay? <laughs> They're not breathing. And all of a sudden, this man in the back raises his hand, and he says, I said, is it you? And he goes, it's not me, but I know who it's for. <laughs> okay, I mean, I'm, I'm okay. Can we pray for so-and-so? Well, everybody in there knew the person, the lady that they mentioned, because she had been going to the different doctors, and they can't figure out what it is. And I said, okay, well, yeah, we can do that. And so I said, would you be willing to come up and sit in her place? He said, kind of like a surrogate? I said, yeah, kind of like a surrogate. And so he did. And uh, we anointed him with oil, and, and we prayed, and, and, and it, was, it was just a, it was a beautiful, it was a neat thing. Now, I don't know what God's done. I hadn't heard the results. I anticipate hearing something, but it, it was just, it was a beautiful. God just did a, a really neat work, and it, it was, it's interesting. I planned planned to preach today on prayer before I got the invitation to go there. Okay, and uh, and so it's just it's amazing how God works. But we've been in a series for uh, the past six weeks. Today's the seventh. Uh, session of this really and we're calling it normal christianity and and our if if you're visiting with us normal means that it conforms to a standard 
And what we're calling normal Christianity is the lifestyle, the walk that Jesus walked, okay? What we know and call normal is really average because it doesn't look exactly like Jesus. And so we're trying to to redefine in our minds what our walk should look like and how we should walk and, and how we should act and, and, and the power that we carry, and we're looking at Jesus. Jesus is the example, okay? He doesn't call us to look at anyone else. He calls us to look at himself. Look at Jesus. Imitate me. Now, the Apostle Paul says, imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus, all right? But there's very few people that I know that can say, imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus. And so we're trying to learn what normal is. And we've been looking at, at different things. We defined what normal was, uh, conforming to a standard, and, and Jesus is a standard. And we've looked at love. We've looked at unconditional love and how God calls us to love him. But first, we have to receive his love. And he calls us to love others. But first, we have to love ourselves. We've talked about grace and how Jesus ministered in grace. Last week, I can't remember what we talked about, okay? It just disappeared out of my mind, so I'm not going to worry about it. If you remember, good. Anybody write anything down? Yes, Penny. What did I preach on? The Holy Spirit. Oh, I can't believe I couldn't think of that. Okay, I know why I couldn't think of it. But we talked, we talked about Jesus, and we talked about how Jesus was baptized, how he was filled full of the Holy Spirit, and how that was the, the power source, the person that he drew from to do everything that he did. Today, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about his prayer life. And I've, just, I've called this a potent prayer life. Uh, many years ago, and it's been a lot longer than many, but many years ago, Kathy and I uh, were a part of a mission team. Uh, a student ministry team that spent a week in the inner city of New Orleans ministering to, to children. Uh, I don't remember, as, as it's already been proven, I don't remember very well, okay? I, I, there, are, there are spots that, that Kay, she and I were talking yesterday. She said, do you remember this? Da, 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 da. She just described it. I, I can't remember anything about it. So, I mean, there are things I can't remember, but there are things I can remember. I can remember it, it, was, it was on Annunciation Street, okay? And I had the, I had the name of the, so the Carver Center on Annunciation Street. And the reason I remember it so well is we stayed at the Carver Center because we thought that's what you were supposed to do. We came to find out nobody stayed at the Carver Center. We were the first group that stayed there in about 15 or 20 years. And it was, it was in inner city, and uh, it, was, it was fine. We had a, we had a great trip. But it, and, and, and God just he worked in, in the heart of, of some teenagers, and he worked in, in our hearts. And, and I'll tell you, one of the things I learned, I, I, I'd grown up in Alabama. I'd grown up with, with a work ethic. My dad had taught me that if, if you'll just work, you can succeed. But for the first time in my life, I saw poverty, genuine poverty. Poverty where there is no way out unless someone removes you from that situation and puts you there. On their own, there, there, was, there, was a, there were generations and generations and generations of poverty. There was a young man there who was a, a musician, and he had grown up in that neighborhood. And he and I were talking one night, and he, he told me that he had received a music scholarship. And I asked him, I said, where are you going to go? He said, I sure am, because if I don't go... I'll die here. There's no way out. There's no jobs. There's no nothing. And I, for the first time in my life, my life, I realized what real poverty was. And we, we spent a great week. We, we ministered to kids in vacation Bible school. Uh, we saw God move. And at the end of the week, we, our, our student leader at that time was from the New Orleans Metairie area. And she had grown up in a place called Crotch Springs, okay? I know, believe me, it it was, I know why they named it that. It's down close, I mean, it's down close to the coast in the swamps. I mean, her family, uh, they were Cajun, and uh, we, there, there wasn't many of us, they were eight or ten of us, and so they divided us up, and we stayed in people's homes. And Kathy and I stayed in, in one of her aunt's 
homes. And this lady had a room that she had furnished for visiting missionaries, for fur- furloughed missionaries. And that night as we were preparing to go to bed, she had a little book over there, and all the missionaries that ever stayed there had signed her little book, and they'd left things. And I was looking at the pictures and, and, and the guest names, and I, ca- I came across, across a statement that has stuck with me. I've never forgotten it. And, and the statement is this, where prayer focuses, God's power falls. I mean, it, 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 it changed my life. It really did. Where, God's, or where prayer focuses, God's power falls. Prayer, folks, is, is an essential element of becoming a normal Christian. Now, I want you to hear me this morning, okay? I'm not an expert in prayer. God's given me the opportunity to lead the prayer ministries in, in, in two large churches. But I'm just like you. I struggle with prayer. I, every time I pray, I want to pray better, if that makes sense. I, I realize that I, you know, I could have said that a, a better way, and, and, or I could have done this, or I could have spent a little longer, or oh, I, just like a while ago, I prayed for Penny, and, and I didn't pray for Debbie, okay? I mean... I, my prayer life is not where I want it to be, all right? And I think if it ever gets there, then I'll die. Does that make sense? Because they're all, I think there always should be an, an, a, a discomfort. We should always push ourselves to pray in different ways. And not and listen to me this morning. You're not going to hear me say you need to pray for two hours. You need to get up in the morning at five o'clock and spend the first two hours. You're not going to hear me say that stuff, okay? If 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 you want to do that, may God bless you. It it won't hurt you. I can promise you that. And you may be a morning person. Your eyes may pop awake at four a.m. and and you're raring to go. But there are some of us, okay, that we're not that kind of person. You may be the person that can take a list and you can pray over it for months and years, okay? Keep praying because we need you, okay? I'm not that kind of person. I'm like I I told the guys I I ministered to this weekend. I'm kind of like the special ops guy. God just drops me in a situation. I do what I'm supposed to do and then he, he, he excavates me and takes me out of there, okay? I, I'm not a siege warrior when it comes to the prayer list. I, I, don't, I don't work well that. But I know people that are. So if, if you're that kind of person, man, use it. Because God's using you to tear down things. But for that person that, that just, I mean, in a situation, you, you voice a prayer and then you move on. Keep doing that because God's using it. God makes us different, okay? And we pray differently. So I don't want you to get discouraged today. That's, that's my main thing. I don't want you to hear me say, hey, if you're not praying an hour every day, you'll never be like Jesus. Because that's not true. I, nowhere does it tell us except once or twice Jesus prayed all night. That doesn't mean he prayed 12 hours. It just means he prayed all night. We don't know what all night was necessarily. It doesn't say that, that Jesus got up every morning and he prayed for six hours before he started his day. I, I don't know if he did or not. I know prayer was a consistent part of his life. Okay, and we're going to look at that today. But if we don't pray, folks, we will never be anything more than average. And you know average is abnormal because it's not normal. Jesus was a man who prayed. He had a potent prayer life. Here's my question. If Jesus needed to pray, okay? If Jesus needed to pray, don't you think we should pray as well? Don't you think we need to? I asked this question this weekend. I'm going to ask it this morning. I want you to answer it in your own mind, okay? What is prayer? What is it? I mean, we, we talk about prayer all the time in the church. The only problem is most people don't do it. It's kind of the only thing that's talked about more that's not done, that's done less, is evangelism. Okay? Those are the two subjects in the church that we talk about. We talk about prayer and evangelism, but the, the average Christian prays very little and shares very little. And those are the, the two things probably that... that all of us need to do a better job at, okay? 
prayer is like breathing. So if we don't pray, we're holding our breath all the time. And evangelism is like celebrating. So if I'm not, if I'm not sharing the gospel in some way, now listen to me. You, you may not be the, the Romans road guy or the evangelism explosion lady, but you know what? You can tell people what Jesus has done for you and how he can do it for them. That's evangelism. So if we're not evangelizing, then we're not, we're not, we're not sharing any joy. We're really not. So what is prayer? I want you to think about that for a minute. What is prayer? Define it in your mind. And I'm going to give you some things that's not. It's not a grocery list of what we want slung toward heaven every morning. Okay? Now, it's important that we ask God for what we need. But it's not a grocery list that we just throw up at the heavens before we start our day. And it's far more than a thank you before we sit down at a meal. It's important. But that's not, that's not the definition of prayer. It's not whew, at the end of a long, hard day. I'm glad that one's over. Thank you, God, for taking care of me. That's part of it, but that's, that's not all of it. And it's certainly not a get-me-out-of-trouble plea when the curtain's about to fall. You know, the, the foxhole prayer. Now, all of those things are a part of prayer, but if that is your prayer life, then you really don't have a prayer life, okay? Prayer is a conversation with God. That's all it is. It's talking to God. Now, it's not a monologue, okay? It's not one way. It's a dialogue. He speaks, I listen. I speak, he listens. It's a two-way conversation. And as, 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 as your prayer life grows, as, as it makes it, really it's a heart-to-heart connection is what it is. Our hearts connect with his heart. His heart connects with our heart. It's, it's a mutual time where we both talk and we both listen. Prayer is one of the most neglected aspects of the Christian life. We talk about it, but we rarely do it. And for God's power to fall, we have to focus our prayers. And for us to focus our prayers, we have to pray. It's a conversation between two friends, okay? The reason many of us struggle with prayer is because we don't really know the person we're talking to. Now, I say that. I'm not questioning whether or not you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm not doing that, okay? What I'm saying is we haven't progressed much farther than that. We got the salvation ticket. We put it in there with our important cards, you know, where you keep your driver's license and the insurance card for your medical stuff. We've got our eternal fire insurance card. We put it in our pocket, and we go on. And we don't really get to know God. See, salvation is the beginning of the relationship. Okay? The beginning. It's what gives us the opportunity to know who Jesus is and to discover God's heart. It's not the end. It's the beginning. And so the reason most of us don't pray is because we don't really have a lot to say because we don't really know the person we're talking to. I'm a little, you may not think this, but I'm a little bit bashful. And I, I don't really like crowds, okay? And if I'm in a, a room full of people I don't know, I might become the quietest person in there. I've just, it's just the way I've always been. I have to force myself to, to, to make conversation. Why? Because I don't know them. I'm not sure what they think. And if I say something stupid, I really am not sure what they think. Listen, God knows you. And you can say as many stupid things as you want, and he still loves you. That, that's just reality. He loves you in spite of. And so what happens is, is most of us don't pray because we don't know the person we're talking to. Yet Jesus prayed regularly. 
And he understood the importance of a consistent and an ongoing conversation with God. That's what his prayers were. They were a conversation. They they weren't a series of petitions, although there's nothing wrong with petitions. Petitions. It was was conversational. I've I've shared this before, but I had a, 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 when this became, uh, when it talks about praying without ceasing and in a conversation, I I had a a Greek professor in in, uh, Bible college that at the beginning of every class, he would pray. And he began every prayer I ever heard him pray with and, and Lord. And I thought, wow, that's strange. I just I started paying attention because I'd never heard anybody start a prayer with and. And one day I realized the point. He never stopped praying. The conversation never ended. Let me put it that way. And it was just a continual conversation between him and the Lord. And that's what Scripture means when when it says pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean that we're to walk around constantly speaking out loud. It means that we're to be in a constant conversation with God. That may be out loud. That may be in my heart. That may be in my mind. Jesus was in a constant conversation with God. Every day when he got up, the conversation picked up. And it stayed Going until he went to sleep at night. The first time that the scriptures record Jesus praying was at his baptism. And, and I, I, I probably should have shared this last week when we were talking, but I'm going to share it this week. That baptism was his inaugural moment in his ministry. It was the very beginning. And all four Gospels record that. I mentioned that last week. But only in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, it shares that Jesus was praying when he, come up, when he came up out of the water. He was praying. And I believe there's something there that we've missed. I, I think it's important that we see it. It says, now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, and while he was praying, in other words, he was praying, and all of a sudden something happened. Heaven was opened, and the Spirit and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. While Jesus was praying, the Holy Spirit descended on him. While he was praying. What was he praying? Why was he praying? Well, I believe he was asking for the power that he needed to carry out the mantle that he had been given. He was the Messiah, the anointed one of God. I believe he was praying for that anointing to come, for that filling to come, for that baptism to come, whichever word you choose to use. And what happened is is he asked God for the Holy Spirit. He asked. He didn't assume. He asked. And God answers his prayer. And he pours out on his son the Spirit of God. And it's obvious from the text and the witness of his ministry that that took place. Later, in in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he commands us as his followers to do the very same thing. He says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What What is ask him? It's prayer. Because prayer is not something we do, folks. Prayer is something that's a part of us. It's like breathing. If you don't breathe, what happens? You turn blue and then purple and you die. And so Jesus would breathe, spiritually speaking, through prayer he would breathe and and he would would take in what the Father was giving him and then he he would breathe out. And it would, his works would take place. The things that he did would take place. But there was, a, there was a constant interaction there. And I think this is a necessity for being a normal Christian. If, if Jesus needed the Spirit, then how much more do we need the Spirit? Jesus asked. He received. I asked this last week. I said, have you asked? Have you received? Jesus prayed. But Jesus needed More than just power, okay? He also needed guidance 
And he needed direction on how to minister, when to minister, where to minister, and to whom to minister to, whom to use that power on. He needed direction. See, I mean, Jesus, they didn't just spin Jesus around every morning and, and when he opened his eyes and he pointed the direction, that's the way they went to minister that day. He had a plan. It was a circuitous route through, through uh, the area that he, he had lived in and it would go down to Jerusalem into areas and then it would come back and it would go over here. And it was a, 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 a route that was, was determined before he got there. And you know how he found out where he was supposed to go? God told him. I mean, just study the book of Acts. Paul says, hey, I wanted to go over there and share the gospel. And we prayed and the Holy Spirit said, no, I don't want you to go there. I want you to go here. See, the the Holy Spirit was guiding not just Jesus. He was guiding the early church and where the gospel was shared. The, 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 I'm going to put it this way. The, the Holy Spirit was ensuring the most bang for his buck. You understand what I'm saying? He was getting the most out of the movement because he knew there was only a short window of opportunity open. So he sent Jesus to the people and the places that would make the most impact. And so Jesus is is listening to the Holy Spirit. He's seeking direction. God's talking to him. Most people just assume he knew where to go, who to minister to, and what and what and and when to preach certain sermons. I, I don't think that's the case. I think he said, Father, show me what to say. What are you doing today? His daily ministry plan was dependent on the persistent, consistent conversation he was having with his father. You know what we call that? A prayer life. That's what we call that. And the success of the Savior depended on the depth of his prayer life. Jesus put it this way. And I'm going I'm to share several sermons here. And I think Tom's going to have all of them up there. But I want you just to understand the things Jesus said about talking to his father. And listening to his father. And seeing what his father was doing. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. That's John 5, 19. In other words, Jesus says, I can't do anything unless I first see my Father in heaven doing it ahead of me. I am just mimicking, I am just imitating what he's already doing. So when I step out in the morning, I'm watching my Father. He's going ahead of me. He's touching the blind guy. So I know that's the guy I'm supposed to touch. He's speaking to this one. I know I'm supposed to speak here. He's paused on the side of this hill. I'm supposed to teach here. I believe that's what Jesus was doing. Another passage in John chapter 5 verse 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. In other words, I make all the plans I want. But I got to follow God's plan. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I don't seek my own will, but the will of he who sent me. John 8, 28, Jesus says, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I can do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father has taught me. In other words, what God puts in my mouth, that is what I'm going to speak. What I have learned from the Father is what I'm going to proclaim. And then in John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus says, For I didn't speak of my own initiative. But the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Now, folks, I think it's pretty open and shut that Jesus didn't do his own thing. He did. He spoke. He acted. He taught. He preached. And he he did exactly what the Father was doing. How did he figure that out? He had a conversation with God. Listen, I would have never come up with, I hope y'all know me well enough, I'm not much to go out on the edge of a cliff 
or out on the edge of a tree limb and jump up and down just to test God, okay? I'm just not. And the last place I'm going to try out how well I hear a word of knowledge is with a group of Baptist deacons that have no idea what I'm doing, all right? I'm just, that's just not me. And so, you know, how did I hear that? I think God shared that with me. I think God orchestrated that whole event, and he's just looking for somebody brave enough to, to take what he gave them and, and roll it out there. Once I rolled it out there, the rest of it happened on its own. I didn't envision that, okay? I envisioned, here was my vision. I, I'm the optimistic guy. There's going to be a deacon. This is him. He's going to come up. We're going to sit down, anoint him in oil, pray a little bit, and boom, he's going to be miraculously healed. That's what I was hoping for, okay? But instead, God provided a teachable moment with a situation that every man in that room was familiar with. And it just happened naturally. And folks, that's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus ministered. Jesus never acted on his own. He never went rogue, okay? He, he never was the Lone Ranger. It was never just Jesus. He did the will of the Father. He acted, and, and what happens is when we act on our own, what happens? That's when we get in trouble, right? Any of you ever been in trouble? Okay, y'all know what I'm talking about. Jesus discerned his will through his conversations, with his, through his prayer life with the Father. It was through prayer that, that Jesus, Jesus knew to go to the pool of Bethesda at that exact moment, on that exact day, and step over 25 or 30 people to get to one crippled guy who was laying beside that pool. What we don't realize is, is that was a hospital, Okay. That's, that's where the, 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 the people of the world at that time believed that, that when the warm springs or the, the mineral springs, th those were healing places that the gods had put those in for, for human beings to, to go to. And, 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 and this was one of those healing places. And, and the Romans even, even had a section there where, where they would take their sick because they believed that there was a god whose symbol was the snake, who happens to be the snake that's... Uh, uh, that, that I can't think of. That I'm going blank here. Yes, that that doctors wear. It's that symbol. It comes from them. And they had a place there where if you stayed there overnight and one of the snakes touched you, you'd get well. That's what they believed. You said, "Well, that's that's pretty far out." Well, the Jews believed something just as far out that there was an angel going to come, stir the water up, first one in. Nanny, nanny, nanny. I'm the one that gets healed today. I mean, that's, that's the story. So there are people everywhere. They're, they're, I mean, they brought the sick every day because you didn't get a semi-private room or a ward there. You had to claim a spot. And guess what? The ones that got there the earliest got the, the places closest to the water. And if you're crippled, if you're six rows away, guess what? You ain't getting healed today. Do y'all see the picture now? Okay, Jesus is wading over cripples and sick people and invalids. And he's not healing anybody. Except that one guy. How's he know that? Well, he was dressed really nice and he, he looked like he deserved it. That's not it. That was where God was working that day. And Jesus wades over those people, steps over, goes around, talks to that guy. And in a little bit, guess what? No angel shows up to stir the water up. This guy gets healed. Jesus heals him. God was working at that moment. Nobody else. Scripture doesn't record anybody else in that instance was healed. Well, what about, how does he know when they start out across the, the, uh, the, 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 the Sea of Galilee in that little fishing boat? It's, 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 it's five or six, let's say it's Five to seven miles long and three to four miles wide. How does he know? It's a big lake, okay? It just reminds me of going to Gunnersville, sort of. But how does he know to sail to an exact place where there's a cemetery with a demonized guy? How does he know that? Well, it was just the wind, man. They, they tossed the sail up, went where it carried them. No, God blew the wind. 
I mean, that's the last place the 12 that were with him would have ever gone. Okay, this was a guy who, 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 who shattered chains. I mean, this is a guy who, who looked like a wild man, whose hair was unkept and long, who, who cut himself. And, and we read that, and we think, well, he gouged himself with stones. That's something that happens even today. People, they cut themselves. They're, they're so uh, depressed and so uh, upset that they, they cut themselves to, to, to try to relieve some of the pressure that's on them. And that's what he was doing. I mean, he was, he was about to blow up emotionally and mentally. He's just driven. He, he sleeps in the cemetery. It gets cold there at night, okay? He doesn't wear any clothes. He's the only guy around the whole region that, that's, that goes without clothes. I mean, he's a, he's a wild man. Why would you want to go there? Because God wanted to do something in that guy. God's the only help he's going to get. And so what does he do? He sends Jesus, a little fishing boat with 12 guys. And Jesus doesn't have to hunt him. You read the text very closely. Jesus steps out of the boat. This guy runs down the hill. See, what we envision is a cliff to where the pigs plunged off. Okay, there's no cliff there. There's a gigantic hill that goes straight up. I've been there. There's a cemetery and those pigs ran down the hill and they ran into the ocean. Now, that's another story for another day. Pigs don't like water that much. So, okay, they didn't plunge off a cliff. They just ran down that. But anyway, this guy's way up in the in the in the in the in the caves there where the where the, in the limestone holes, he, he's out of sight and he sees Jesus. Before Jesus gets there, he's never seen Jesus before. And he comes running down that hillside. I wonder what kind of sight that was. I try to picture that in my mind. I mean, his hair's flipping and flopping. I mean, he's nasty and dirty. There's dried blood all over him. He's got shards of, of, of chains and, and shackles all over him. And he is, as my daddy would say, naked as a jaybird. Okay? I wonder what kind of sight that was. Now, if that offends you, I'm sorry. Okay? But you got to get the picture. Why would you want to go there? Because God wanted to go there. Because God felt compassion for that man. He had no hope. He had no help. We could have got, he could have gone anywhere else and dealt with people just like that. But he goes there. Why? Because God told him to. Because he heard the Father speaking. He followed the Father's instructions. What he'd heard in private. And then he demonstrated it in public, with, with, by healing the sick, raising the dead, set, setting free those that were demonized. Jesus even told his disciples this when he came, comes off the Mount of Transfiguration. There's a, there's a crowd gathered, and, and a man has brought his, his child who's demonized, and, and they, I mean, they're praying every prayer they can ever remember Jesus praying. All right? And nothing is happening. And you know what Jesus says? He says this in Matthew 17, verse 21. He says, But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. By prayer and fasting. And Jesus then acts, which means he'd spent time praying and fasting. He doesn't tell his disciples how to do it. He shows them how to do it. He was showing them the power, folks, I believe, of a persistent prayer life. And they got it. They understood it. That, that, that bunch of guys were, were some of the, uh, of the biggest knotheads in a group that's ever been, okay? I mean, they won't call fire down on a village, I mean, they, they're arguing with each other. Who's going to sit next to Jesus? Nana, 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 it's me today. You know, that, that's, that's, that's what he dealt with every day. But they got it when it came to prayer. They understood that there was something that Jesus did that made him different. That his prayers were different than the ones they had heard. What we don't realize is, as, as, as Americans living in, a, in, a, in another culture is that they learned prayers 
by the dozens in Judaism. They learned scripture from the time they could memorize it. And they, learned, they, they memorized gigantic portions of the scripture. Every young man and every young woman did that. And they learned all these prayers. And so they had all these prayers memorized. But Jesus comes, he prays differently. He talks directly. He doesn't talk at God. So we pray at God very often. Jesus talked to God. Now there's a difference. He talked to God. And so they, they said, well, Jesus, if you study the gospel very close, you'll find out that they don't ask him to teach them to preach. And, and I think Jesus was, was an awesome preacher. They don't ask him to teach them how to, to heal or to do miracles or to raise the dead or, or to cast out demons. The only thing they ask Jesus to teach them is how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. They were confused about a lot of things, but they were not confused about this one thing and the thing that made Jesus different. They weren't confused about that it was his prayer life. Luke 11, 1 tells us, tells us that it happened while Jesus was praying in a certain place that after he finished one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray as John taught his disciples it was a common thing for a teacher to teach his disciples to do the things that he did John taught his disciples how to pray the way he prayed they want Jesus to teach them how he prayed how many of you realize that Jesus has never prayed a prayer that God has not or will not answer? Not one. I love in, in, the, in the Gospels where after uh, uh, Paul, uh, Peter denies Jesus, or before Peter denies Jesus, Jesus talks to him. He says, hey, you're going to deny me three times, but I've prayed and asked the Father that he would restore you. And what does Peter do? He denies him. Boom, boom, boom. And what does Jesus do? God restores him. He brings the resurrected Jesus to a beach with fish on a fire. And he and Peter take a little walk. Every prayer that Jesus has prayed will be answered. Or it has been answered. Scripture says that he is in heaven right now sitting at the Father's hand, right hand making intercession for us. The way I think about that is, you know what? If I'll just pray between here and God the Father, the Holy Spirit will get it where it's, it's right. Then it'll go through Jesus and guess what? By the time it gets there, it'll get answered. But Jesus is making intercession for us. But Jesus says, he, he tells them, he, Jesus said to them, let's go back to Luke chapter 11. He says, when you pray, say this. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. We call this the Lord's Prayer. But listen to me, Jesus never prayed this prayer because he didn't have to ask for forgiveness. All right? He didn't have to, 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 to ask God to forgive him because he had sinned. What this is, is a pattern for the disciples to pray. And, and it's, it's, it's a very simple pattern. There's praise. There's surrender. There's asking for provisions. There's repenting of our sin. And then there's asking for protection. It's just a good model. Now, I've, heard it, I've heard it done different ways, but it's just a good model. This is the disciples' prayer, and it was a guide for them to pray. Listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with praying it word for word or for expanding it as you get into it. I think as your prayer life deepens, you can expand it. You can, you can take one of those sections, and you can spend as long as you want there. You can spend a year or two if you want to before you move to the next section. So Jesus prayed. He prayed whatever the Father was showing him, he, he found out whatever the Father was showing him through that conversation, through that intimate heart-to-heart -heart conversation. He found out what to do, and he did it. So the next question, well, how often did Jesus pray? See, we want to know when he prayed, how long he prayed, where he prayed. 
Because if I can find me a place like he had and pray as long as he played, then in my mind I'll be like him. We're always looking for a formula, right? I mean, let's be honest. We, we come to church hoping that Brother Nelson will give us a one plus one plus one equals three. We go home and do this and replicate it and be off. The only problem with it, there's no formula like this. Except, if you will believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved if you confess Him with your mouth and believe in your heart. That's a formula. Okay? The life of a Christian, Christian growth, is determined by how much I'm willing to invest and how I'm made. We're all different. You and I can do the same two things, and one of us will will go in one direction and one will go in another. And so Jesus doesn't give us the answer sometimes to what we ask. But how often did Jesus pray? Like I've said, the scripture is silent there. It doesn't tell us specifically that he prayed every morning and every night. But listen, we can, we can study the history of the time. In the first century, the Jews, basically Jewish men, prayed in the morning. They prayed at lunch. And they prayed in the evening. Those prayers were at approximately the same time that the sacrifices had taken place in the temple before the temple fell to the Babylonians. This practice developed when Daniel was in Babylon. And so it's likely that Jesus prayed in the morning. And he prayed at lunchtime. And he prayed in the evenings. But we, just, we don't know that. I think he prayed even more than that. At any time he needed to pray. That's why the, the, I think he was in a constant conversation with, with the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. That's why he tells us in Philippians 4.6 to be anxious for nothing. How many of y'all live in the real world? Most of y'all do. Is there anything that makes you anxious? What's going to happen at work today? Is my boss going to be in a good mood or not? I hope my car starts. I'm not feeling well. If I don't go, I'm going to have to... If I don't work today, I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. And and I'm at the end of the month, I'm going to have to figure out, do I pay bills or do I eat? Man, my mother's sick. My daddy's sick. My kids are sick. My neighbor, I'm afraid to leave because I'm not sure what my neighbor is going to do to the fence. We've not been getting along real well. He might do it to the house. And I live in a neighborhood that it's kind of a little bit dangerous. And, and you know, I'm afraid to leave home. I'm afraid what could happen to my house. Do any of y'all have those issues? And a 10,000 other ones? And Paul says... Be anxious for nothing. He says, don't worry about stuff. Jesus even says that. He says, what good, you can't make your hair grow. So why worry? You can't change anything, so why worry? Trust me. Paul says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Supplication with thanksgiving is just supercharged prayer. Okay, it's still prayer. He says, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. God, I don't feel really good today, but I got to get up and go. So give me strength. God, I pray that my neighbor would stay in his house today. I pray somehow we'd be reconciled. God, I pray you'd put a hedge of angels around my little place, around my little car. It's, It's hitting off one cylinder, and I don't know where the other five have gone. God, I'm not sure i got enough gas to get to work. Will you, would you just help me? Or I don't have enough money to make it to the end of the month. Will you just help me? God, my kids are sick. Will you just help me? That's what Jesus wants us to do. That's the conversation. God, I need help today. He, I, I will say this reverently, okay? He doesn't expect you to come and go through, oh, omnipotent God. 
who lives forever and ever. Holy, 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 holy. For 15 minutes. Okay. When you want somebody to help you, what do you do? Help. Folks, that's prayer. That's not the only time we should pray. But that should be one of the things when he says here, don't be anxious. In other words, you don't have to be anxious. Just ask for what you need. Just pray. God's word never asks us to do anything that it didn't ask Jesus to do with one exception. Okay? Jesus never had to repent for his sin. And a part of his mission was to die on the cross. We're not asked. I mean, we are asked to repent of our sins. And we can't be the Savior of the world. But everything else, Jesus did. He struggled just like we struggled. If you want Jesus' power, folks, we got to have his prayer life. If I want to be normal like he was normal, i got to learn to pray. You say, well, teach us to pray. I am not Jesus. All right, if I teach you to pray, it'll be like Nelson prays. And I'm not batting 100% on mine. He is. Jesus spent time alone with God. He went one-on-one. And if, if you can't or you won't pull away for a minute or two, okay? I didn't say for an hour or two, but a minute or two, you're never going to learn to pray. Prayer is not taught. Prayer is caught. You know how I learned to pray? By listening to people who got hold of God. I began to watch and see that when they prayed, things happened. I thought, they know how to pray. And then as I, I learned to pray, I learned some other things. I can't stand up and say, read this book or this book or this book or do one, two, and three and this will happen because that's not how prayer works. It's caught. It's not taught. Over and over and over throughout the gospel, we read things like this. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went away to a secluded secluded place and was praying there. Most pastors will make a great deal out of the early morning while it was still dark. Okay? That's fine. I'm okay with that. But it's equally as important to get to a secluded place and pray. What we do is we talk about praying and then we don't pray. We study about prayer, but then we don't pray. Jesus went to a place by himself. He got along with God and they just talked. Mark chapter 1 verse 35. Yeah, but I'm too busy. Pastor, you, you, you just don't understand. Well, Jesus was busy. If you don't think so, get your Bible out this afternoon and just casually read the Gospels. You will find people pushing and shoving all day long and into the night to get an audience with him, to touch him. He was so busy, there wasn't time to eat. Now, I've never been that busy, okay? And Kathy will tell you, when it comes lunchtime or break time, I'm going to stop for a few minutes. I don't care what we're doing. Jesus didn't necessarily stop. He was busy. None of us are that busy. He was here to save the world. Okay? Add that to the pressure and the job uh, requirements that you have and the stress. He was here to save the world. He was busy. But in Luke chapter 5 verse 16 it says this, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness. And the wilderness is just a deserted place. You know where your bathroom can be a wilderness. Put a door lock on it and lock it. Well, you don't understand. I got kids. Lock the door. Your closet can be a, 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 a secluded place. Your, your, your recliner can be a secluded place. You may have to do it while you're jogging to find a, 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 a secluded place. It may be when you walk. It may be your treadmill. Just shut the door, turn the TV off, shut the door, and just get by yourself with God. After Jesus had fed 5,000, 
He put his disciples in a boat. And Mark 6, verse 46 says, after bidding them farewell, after saying farewell, he left for the mountain. He went up on the mountain. He got, he climbed past where they could climb. The people that were following him could climb. He went as far as he needed to go to get by himself. He didn't allow the crowds to control his time. He prioritized what was important. And we have to do that. I want you to listen to me. You have to set your schedule. If you don't set your schedule, someone else will. That's just a spiritual truth. If you'll take control of your schedule and set your own schedule, you know what? There'll be time there to talk with God. Prayer was vitally important to God. Prayer was where his stamina and where his his laser focus and his his power and his authority and, and all those miracles that he did. That's where they found their genesis, their beginning. Everything he did was birthed and bathed in prayer first. And there are pivotal moments in his ministry where this is a, this fact's really shown very clearly. When he decides to choose 12 men to whom he would pour his life out and who would continue his ministry. I don't think we realize the, the choosing of those, the, the importance of that. I mean, he, God has sent him to save the world. And to begin, uh, uh, not to begin a movement, but, but to begin a way of life that will bring life. And it will reproduce life. And it will reproduce life. And he's got 12 guys that he chooses. You don't think there was some pressure there? There wasn't just 12 people following him. There was a group of people following him. What did he do? Well, Scripture says that it was at that time that he went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. He spent the whole night talking to God to make sure that he chose the wrong people. You say, well, he missed one. No, he didn't. He fulfilled prophecy in that choosing. Son of perdition, Judas Iscariot. He picked the right one. How would you like to pick the person that was going to betray you? The person whose hands at which you would ultimately pay the ultimate price for. He spent all night praying. As Jesus was preparing to go to Jerusalem for the last time, he goes on a prayer retreat with Peter, James, and John in Luke chapter 9, verse 28. And he says, he says this, some eight days after this, these sayings, he took along Peter, James, and John. He went on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And, and Scripture tells us that what we, we call this, he was transfigured. It reminds us, it, it's, it's, it's a pictures us back to Mount Sinai with Moses. Moses spent 40 days in the presence of God on Mount Sinai. Jesus was transfigured in a moment. And man, he began to glow. I, he began to, uh, his, his clothes began to glisten. He was changed and the glory of God came out of him. And if we spend time, listen to me, if we spend time with God, it will change us as well. And everybody will know who we've been spending time with. When Moses came off that mountain, nobody had to ask where he'd been. You say, well, will I glow? I don't know, you might. But they'll know. They'll know by your presence. They'll know by the, by the authority. They'll know by the glory of God on you. When a person is about to die, and that person knows it, what they pray about, what they talk about, are really important. The last words of an individual, are, are there's a great deal of value to be placed on that. And so what we find Jesus, in that, those last few moments, we find him doing what? Before his freedom is taken away from him. He's praying. He's left the temple area. He's, he's gone down the snake path. Wound his way down the, the slope there below the golden gate. He's crossed over the Kidron Valley. And he's entered into the olive grove. 
Gethsemane, the place of the oil press. It was, a, it was obviously a place that he went to when he was in Jerusalem. Scripture tends to, to, to t- say that. That's where he would spend the night. That's where they would go and they, they would pray. And what we find is him praying. And his prayer is really interesting. Luke 22, verse 42 says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. Not mine, Lord. Your will. He's staggering. I mean, we we have this impression from artwork and, and things done in the Middle Ages of a, of, a, of a Jesus with his hands clenched, his face to heaven, and his, his hair, you know, that light red color and uh, uh, that halo thing over it, and, and he's in this spotless robe, and, and his hands are clenched, and he's praying. That's not the picture Scripture gives. Picture, the picture that the language says is that he would pray and he would stagger around and he would fall on his face and he's sweating profusely. He's, he's, he's not anxious. I don't mean that. He's not worried. That's not the idea. But, but, but he is stressed to the max. Okay? Because he knows what's about to take place. He understands the cup he's about to drink. And so his body is going into shock. And, and what happens is he's praying with such fervency. He's crying out to God. He's staggering around. He's falling. That all of a sudden the cap- capillaries in his forehead begin to burst. And those clots begin to come out. And he begins to, drops of blood. That's why the scripture says sweat is drops of blood. I mean, he, he's not... You know, he's, he's not got that holy glow. I mean, this is a guy that's laboring. He can't stand up. And he gets up and he staggers and he falls again. Folks, he's praying, God, your will, your will, your will. Listen to me, that's what prayer is really all about. It's not a grocery list of what we want. It's rather a conversation where God's will is revealed and His will becomes our will. Prayer doesn't start with us. Prayer begins in heaven. I believe God puts those prayers in our heart so that He can get our will to conform to His will. And we begin when, I mean, it may take us a while praying, but over time, if you pray long enough, your will will be twisted and his will will come forth. And what he placed in your heart to pray will eventually come forth. And listen to me, when we pray the will of God, God answers it 100% of the time. It's his will whispered in our spirit and our willingness to pray it back so that that partnership with us can be accomplished. Listen, Jesus partnered with God 100% of the time. And what happened? Sin was atoned for. Salvation came to you and me. He's not asking us to save the world, though. He's just asking us to live the way He's empowered us to live and do the things He said we will do and share with the people that we meet. He's not asking us to die on a cross. He's not asking us to endure the whip. Folks, God's looking for some partners to accomplish the very things that Jesus did and then even to do the greater things. But listen to me, the average Christian will never make that cut. It takes a person who wants to be normal. And it will take a person who's willing to pray and to pay the price of prayer like Jesus did and to just embrace it. You say, well, does, does that mean, Pastor, i got to pray hours and hours and hours? No, I don't think so. It's not quantity of prayer that gets things done. It's quality of prayer. When I get my will adjusted and I'm voicing His will, I can pray a sentence and God comes. Or I can pray all day as long as I'm praying my stuff and nothing happens. So it's not about time. 
It's not about the words I use. It's not about the posture or the position I take. Folks, it's here, right here. You ever listen to a little kid pray? That's what prayer looks like. There's no pretense. They just ask for what they need or what's on their heart. They just say what's there. That's the place we've got to get back to so that we can pray like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.